0: Welcome to another edition of Influence, the global podcast that shines a spotlight on the influencer marketing industry. My name is Gordon Glenister, and among my many roles, I'm the global head of influencer marketing at the Branded Content Marketing Association, which is a professional membership association representing the branded content and influencer marketing industry. But I'm also a keynote speaker and consultant in the sector and soon-to-be-published author on Influencer Marketing Strategy. Now, in this podcast series, you're going to hear from me interview all sorts of people from the world of Influencer Marketing. But before we start, please don't forget to subscribe to this podcast series just to make sure that you don't miss a future episode. When we talk about influencer marketing, so often people tend to think about Instagram or YouTube influencers. There's a growing awareness of what we call B2B or business-to-business influencers, and these people may be speakers, authors, trainers, entrepreneurs, CEOs, researchers, or academics, but most of them all are seen to be experts in their specialist field. So I caught up with Warren Cass, himself a thought leader, trainer and speaker, uh, and we talked about how thought leaders are shaping the way for influencer marketing in the B2B community. And here's what he had to say.
1: Well, so the quick potted history is for the uh, last 30 years, I've been running my own businesses and because we were running business events, there was a necessity for me to host uh, and stand at the front of the room. Uh, which I I found I particularly enjoyed and uh, more and more as time went on I was actually being asked for my opinion and my thoughts on things uh, which progressed into a speaking career and I I kind of found myself being offered money to stand up and speak at other people's events which which was uh, back then uh, fascinating and flattering and all of those things so I started saying yes a lot more but I played at it for many many years and more recently, uh, by, by recently, I mean, you know, five, six, seven years ago, I started to uh, get offered some serious fees for speaking. I was asked to write a book by two different publishers, and that kind of led me uh, down the kind of thought leadership path a lot more seriously. From the point of view that rather than just treating it as casually as I had, I started to look at what world-class speakers looked like and how they presented themselves from a personal brand the consistency with their visuals uh, in that kind of uh, visual um, uh, expression, and looking at how their their stagecraft, uh, the amount they used humor in their talks, what their marketing was like. So it took me down this this whole journey of of being fascinated by people who were fantastic orators and had managed to kind of turn themselves into kind of world renowned, uh, world class speakers. I started to do the little things to improve the individual aspects of my speaking, from signing up for comedy courses, acting courses. I enrolled on the Adobe suite so I could be better with InDesign and Illustrator and Photoshop so I could create better visuals and a better personal brand. And that whole journey took several years. But in that time, of course, the book was released and did very well and created a lot lot of opportunity, which was fantastic. And I find myself in the last two years working with lots of other speakers who want to kind of replicate what I learned and what I implemented and some of the successes. And more more recently in this last year, working with Warren Knight on the Thought Leaders Blueprint, which has been probably the most purposeful part of my career to date. I, I say probably, definitely the most purposeful part of my career to date, because what we get to do is hang out with people who've got ideas and want to make some sort of difference to their marketplace and that's hugely satisfying
0: and what what is it particularly though that um, has resonated with you because um, you know you are working with uh, an amazing bunch of people that um, have probably found the uh, the the lockdown and uh, COVID situation a big change for them they're not in front of big audiences and uh, and I know a lot of them have have found that they've had to really pivot and, and change the way that they do things uh, so, you know, what would your advice be to some uh, people thinking about this?
1: The first thing I would say is that uh, the change that's happened globally based on COVID-19 isn't restricted to any one industry. I see so many people wanting to take ownership of the the problem as in they're the ones most affected. You know, I recognize that for, for the people I work with, their traditional way of of earning money, i.e. Um, being paid to stand up on a stage and speak. When those events aren't taking place, they, they're affected. So are many other industries. And what's interesting in, in in the times we find ourselves in, speakers I've known for years um, are fallen by the wayside. Some are, are just choosing to retire. Um, I've seen a couple of those recently. Um, some are choosing to get a full-time job. And I would imagine they're quite employable based on, on their kind of knowledge or expertise, but they're choosing to go down that line. So it really is varied, the response, but like any industry right now, uh, we've got to have the flexibility, the agility to recalibrate and to adapt uh, because to just carry on doing what we've always done in a time when events are being cancelled is, is a fool's errand. So, uh, so you asked the, uh, the question, what is it I particularly enjoy about this? I, I enjoy working with people who still have optimism who are still uh, looking at the way they reinvent themselves, recalibrate, and understand uh, that if the market's shifting, uh, thought leadership really is about a personal or business demonstrating authority on a relevant subject by answering the biggest questions on the minds of their audience. And in these current times, the biggest questions on the minds of their audience have changed. Thought leadership, by that very definition, has to adapt and and st- and has to be constantly looking to source and share useful information, which helps in these current times. They're the people who are lasting. And there's a load of different ways in which you can deliver that, not just from a delivery point of view, but commercially too, right? So helping people understand, you know, how we adapt to virtual Uh, sharing of information, how we get better at our digital products, how we improve our content marketing um, and our our content thought leadership. All of these are just some of the aspects that we talk to people about. But if I was to answer your second part of the question, which is the the best advice for doing this, I think thought leadership isn't just reserved for those who are pioneers on a subject. Um, It's really anybody who's answering the questions of their marketplace and being useful. So there's two things I would, I would say. The first thing is to consider actually taking it more seriously from a personal branding point of view. I see a lot of inconsistent people out there who aren't really centering their personal brand, understanding where their values are, understanding, uh, you know, using their uh, testimony and their kind of evidence-based stuff on their experiences, qualifications, etc., to paint a narrative that says, I really know my onions, come and, come and listen to what I've got to say. That's the first thing I would say. The second thing I would say, um, my good friend, another thought leader, good friend Barnaby Winter, was talking to me about this over a bottle of wine before lockdown. And it was based on research that came out of Gartner, which was around the fact that um, the marketplace is flooded with insight right now. And the people who are really winning aren't the people who are delivering insight. It's the people who are making sense of insight. So it's how do we actually take this wisdom and implement it? how do we actually make it useful to us and what's happening is people are slightly overwhelmed by information and skeptical because the amount of misinformation and what they actually want is somebody to hold their hand and do it with them and so I see a, a real trend towards products and services which are a little bit more hands-on and make helping people make sense of insight
0: absolutely Grinnell. because I know Barnaby as well and I, I do agree with you we uh, how do we make events more interesting online? Um, as another, you know, I- issue and challenge for some of those speakers, uh, because they're not connecting with their audience in the same way that they may have done in the past. Uh, you can't always see that body language, can you? When you've got, uh, you know, thirty or forty people, or even more, on a screen. Uh, so um, being able to be uh, engaging and different, and also using technology in a different way. Of course, there's some, there's some great. Uh, stuff out there now that enables us to be a bit more creative in the way we present ourselves
1: and we've already seen incredible innovation um over the last nine months when it comes to the kind of visual stuff that we do to make zoom more interesting for example in fact yesterday i signed up to the beta of a a new app called Mm mm-hmm it's actually spelt, I think, triple M, triple H, triple M. So it's, mm-hmm. And it's a little bit like OBS, but it allows you to do some really kind of groovy, interesting stuff whilst uh, being on a, on a Zoom call, for example, to be able to include visuals and include uh, a little bit more emotional, a little bit more engaging style. So I'm, I'm looking forward to those innovations because I don't think... Uh, They're working in isolation. I think you're going to find a whole suite of products coming out, which are about just making these types of conversations really visually interesting too.
0: So, I mean, just on the back of that, of course, uh, nowadays uh, I've noticed that uh, some of the traditional speakers have now Pivoted and changed the the wording on their LinkedIn profiles, Twitter profiles to virtual speaker, uh, and now it's not in the same as other forms of influencer marketing. It's now just not just about the content; it's how it's being delivered uh, in a in a in a way that really does resonate. So um, you know we've certainly seen quite a lot a lot of that, and I think we're going to see more of that. Would would you concur?
1: Yeah, well, absolutely. And of course, they quite rightly should be including virtual speaking on their bios because, of course, that's what people are searching for. The events industry hasn't just gone away completely, but they have tried to adapt. Now, it's a much harder task for certain types of events. So, for example, an event I regularly speak at in London has about 25,000 people turn up and it's it's a big part of it's an exhibition. And uh, doing an expo online just isn't the same so it's a really difficult task to try and get engagement for that type particularly if the exhibition was the uh, the commercial aspect of the event you know the thing that paid for everything else whereas information events are still largely able to command a fee for an attendee and therefore pay a fee for the speaker and so whilst that's happening and you know sure some people are trying to negotiate slight reductions in fees remember a lot of the the big overheads connected to the event, all the travel accommodation logistics are no longer a, a, a huge expense. So actually, in some cases, the attendance is higher because they're attracting a, a more international audience. I mean, even just um, uh, with what Warren and I have done this year, when we originally sat down and conceived it, it was before any kind of idea of, of lockdown, right at the beginning of the year. And of course, what we were going to do at the time was was take you know, a nice five-star venue, and bring people together for the content and a uh, lockdown happened so we had to adapt and as a result of that we've got people in i think seven different countries now participating in some of the stuff that we do and that would have never have happened had it have been a, a physical event so it does broaden the opportunity i mean and even in the if you just look in the last week i've taken part in a, a summit in india i'm uh, involved in a, an event in australia tomorrow night so, you know, there's, there's lots of different opportunities coming up virtually. And, and the marketplace is starting to uh, normalize a little bit in that fees are starting to be generated because people are understanding how they can make virtual events commercially work.
0: In your estimation, how can brands work more with um, thought leaders and what we call B2B
1: influencers? So it's interesting. I, I've actually been in this space in one way, shape or form for quite a few years now certainly in the B2B sector. So uh, an organization I founded back in 2004 uh, worked a lot with sponsors. We had huge brands who sponsored us, and every single one of them for different reasons, but, uh, you know, in the mechanics of it. But essentially what they all wanted was more eyeballs from the small business marketplace. And some of them back then, it was insight they wanted to to share as part of their sponsorship agreement. Some just wanted to turn up at events uh, and talk to our audience. But long gone are the days of just logo placement, you know, uh, for these types of things. What people realize is that they have to add add value in order to to get engagement. When working with influencers, uh, and and it's probably just worth uh, distinguishing between what a um, a consumer influencer is versus a thought leader um, because most people think of influencers as the uh, just the content creators and uh, more entertainment content creators you know it's the K- kardashians and the likes of this world whereas thought leaders are people who are who are typically bringing ideas to the marketplace and yes they still have to be uh, influencers they've still got a following they've still got influence over their following and it's largely based on their content but their content is in the idea marketplace as opposed to the entertainment marketplace. That's how I kind of distinguish the two. There's room for both, really, even in the B2B space. I remember uh, BlackBerry uh, back in 2007 who created what they called their ambassador scheme. And I, I was one of them, um, but they had um, people from who were prominent in lots and lots of different industries and they were given lots of perks and rewards for uh, standing up occasionally and saying, I love my BlackBerry type thing, you know even though it was in the B2B space, that was traditional influencing. You know, that's what we know as influencers today. There was no content coming from us. It was the credibility by association uh, principle, which I talk about in my book. Whereas when it comes to thought leadership, the enlightened brand isn't just working with B2B influencers, even though it's a great strategy. They're also starting to think about how they share thought leadership themselves. Really exciting brands normally have an evangelist at the helm, who's happy to stand up and, and actually talk and educate the marketplace around them. Even absent of that, they can do it as a brand. Uh, they don't necessarily have to do it with an individual at the helm, they can do it as a brand. And the whole point is about, again, coming back to the point I made earlier on, it's demonstrating authority on relevant subjects by answering the biggest questions on the minds of their audience.
0: Mm. And I think people are following individuals more than they are brands now, and and this is it, I think the, the, the COVID has made our connections a lot more human to human, uh, haven't they? You know we're we're resonating and feeling solace with individuals rather than we are with traditional forms of advertising, which I think is why influencer marketing is growing so exponentially, and so of course is thought leadership, uh, because what brands want is they want their brand story told through through advocates
1: that's true and you know i i don't know very many people who have a meaningful conversation with a local, with the brand with you know it's the individuals within the organizations even if it is meaningful so but there's a trust thing for big organizations it's how, how do you trust uh, the people who represent you to say the right things and do the right things if they've not gone through any kind of formal media training for example and, and even through social media now, you're starting to see personality coming through. People are empowered to be a little bit more human. In lots and lots of different cultures, actually, uh, the, the human bit comes before the business bit. It's only really in other, some of the Western countries where the, the business transaction takes place before the relationship is built. But um, in, in China, for example, there's a, a principle called guanxi which is all about um, building those relationships first and even, even on a family level, because what they want to do is understand what people stand for from a values point of view, uh, before they would even think about um, taking, taking business to the next step. And we're certainly starting to see that trend, I believe, um, percolating throughout the West. And it's why when we're working with thought leaders, we put a bit of emphasis on getting the value stuff right, and actually designing the personal brand and being consistent with it so you're known and trusted quantity. It's when people are uh, unpredictable that um, then there are surprises and they tend to polarise a lot more. There is a design structure you can go through when creating a personal brand for maximum effectiveness and maximum impact. And that's what we try to take people through with our Thought Leaders Blueprint.
0: And what do you think are some of the things that have come out of the, the, uh, the, the Thought Leaders Blueprint that surprised you? Um, because I know when you started putting this course uh, and content together, it's changed from the first one that you did to the second one. So I'm quite interested to find out what your findings were, the, what, what type of messages that we, you were creating that was resonating differently.
1: So again two, there's two two great questions within that. So I'll ask the question answer the question first on what was uh, what appeared to be resonating. I think I think because Warren and I practice what we preach and we're we're quite open about what works and what doesn't. I think there's a uh, there's a, a bit of vulnerability on our part which I think uh, draws people in. But largely we are able to honestly look at the marketplace and and help people navigate that look at the change and help people navigate that. We've had people come to us because actually, what they wanted was clarity more than anything else. In fact, I think clarity is probably the biggest word that people maybe come to us for. But it's not why they stay a part of the community. But they, they stay part of the community because they've got suddenly a support infrastructure which goes above and beyond with them. I mean, the connection between our members is phenomenal real trust and support. It's meaningful, really meaningful conversations. They've all engaged. I can't wait for the first time we can bring everybody together physically face-to-face for, for a conference, you know, uh, and, and break bread together. It's just going to be an amazing time. But the reason why they come, I think, is for clarity. And the, the clarity isn't just about um, how the marketplace is shifting and how they can adapt. They're coming to us for the clarity of, of who they are and how they best portray themselves moving forwards. They're typically attracted to our early stuff. We we run an identity workshop, which looks at how they can um, you know really build a compelling personal brand, and then of course we get into the space of what's the kind of content marketing strategy? How do they use um, and and build a, a digital leadership strategy? Uh, what's their kind of propositions? Uh, are they building a methodology or a model which dif- differentiates themselves from their competition? We go through all of these part of the the program and. And I think it's an eye-opener for many. There's a common reason for that. If you think about most people you know in business, I pretty much guarantee that the vast majority of them, after, say, 10 years of running a business, aren't delivering what they set out to deliver. And there's a couple of reasons for that. But the main reason is the marketplace dictates what you offer as a business, really. You know, if they don't want it, they won't buy it and you won't last. And if they want something slightly different, you adapt and you, you evolve. That's something I've consistently seen in lots and lots of different industries, by the way, not just thought leadership. But of course, they, they have to resonate with you. So you have to have given uh, all of that authority and that, that useful uh, interaction. You have to have demonstrated your values to a certain extent. They've got, to, they've got to trust you. In an age of so much noise and so much misinformation, people are doing their due diligence People are really checking out the people they might decide to work with. And therefore, you know, managing your reputation is, uh, is, is important, having strategies for that too, having strategies that raise, raise your profile. All of those are essential if you're building a brand which is led by thought leadership.
0: Mm. And sometimes, don't you find that, um, and I can bear this out with the people that I've met, you know, um, we can all be great supporters and advisors to other people. Don't look introspectively often enough at ourselves, particularly if you're a you're a coach or a speaker or you're working on your own. Uh, so I think this 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 form of um, clarity and um, uh, hot seat environment that, that you've created I think is 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 really quite interesting because it's not just about saying you're going to do something. You are um, you know you're being measured. But not in a uh, embarrassing way, in a way that you owe it to the group. Um, so I, I actually think this is quite a, it should be quite a good time for, for strategists and, and coaches to actually help businesses all around the world with uh, fine tuning their own um, their own vision, um, because you know what COVID has done has knocked a lot of people off balance.
1: Well well you you have also made a really good point there is that most people are awesome at what they do because they've probably been doing it for years but it doesn't mean to say they necessarily know how to run the business framework around it or they know how to to market that thing whatever it might be or position that thing okay so they they know how to do it and um, they know where their value comes from they may have even been employed to do it on somebody else's behalf for the last 20 years but suddenly now in this new world um they they've got to go and feather their own camp and what we do is we give them the uh, the business vehicle for it the the understanding of how how to articulate their proposition and take it to market
0: mm. if you could just leave us with one final tip from all your years of experience um what would it be to create a, a proper um thought leader
1: well actually this is broader this tip then i'll um I, this is Every single business right now, we we are living in times of enormous change. And the businesses that thrive in change are the ones that are always looking at what's happening to the marketplace around them and understanding how they might adapt. There's a quote I've always liked, uh, which is often falsely attributed to Charles Darwin, which is, it's not the strongest of the species that survives, nor the most intelligent, but the one most adaptable to change. And I believe that to be absolutely true for the business landscape today we've got to be constantly looking at what evolutions are happening with technology with demography and we've got to be understanding how our marketplace is shifting and making sure that we're staying relevant this podcast is supported by the branded content marketing association promoting the value of influencer marketing globally
0: That's it for another edition of Influence. Please don't forget to subscribe to the show and give me your feedback, uh, feedback at influencepodcast.net or you can also follow me on LinkedIn, Instagram or Twitter where you can also ask me a question about this episode, any of the previous ones or what you'd like to hear about in the future. Thanks also to my producer Neil Whiteside from Freedom One and until next time from me Gordon Glenister. it's bye for now.